Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 73. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, you will hear stories from professionals and educators and business owners in the skill trades giving real-world advice. You know, we don't run any ads on this podcast, so if you found value, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for tuning in and supporting the Skill Stadium podcast. Today's show, we are going to talk about careers in the automotive industry and the process to acquiring those skills. And you will learn how technology is impacting this industry, and you'll get tips on what it takes to succeed and attract employers to be successful in this profession. So my guest today grew up on the south side of Chicago in Harvey, Illinois. He is a master certified technician and instructor at Lincoln Tech, a very popular school with a huge reach. He has over 40 years career where he has worked for companies such as Goodyear, we all know about Goodyear, Pet Boys, and Sandra Montgomery, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Sandra Montgomery, where he actually met his wife. Very interesting story. I'll let him share that. And he actually then made a transition to be an educator at Lincoln Tech, where he's worked that position for over 26 years. He has been working two careers, not one, two careers to take care of his family. And he enjoys helping his students grow their skills and pursue their dreams. What makes him good at his job is his passion, his personality. And in high school, he did theater. So I imagine his classes are going to be very entertaining and keep the attention of his students. During his free time, he enjoys gardening, which I'm sure he gives him a much needed break after he makes a 100-mile commute. Please welcome to the Steel Stadium Podcast, Ken Young. Ken, how are you today? I am very well, thank you. What a lovely introduction. I think the show is over. Thank you very much. I enjoyed being here. <laughs> well, Ken, you know, I had to bring it strong. When I knew that you were in theater, I knew I couldn't just make a regular introduction for a man with your experience and you know, I've seen some of your videos. You're very personable. And I said, I've got to match that energy. i got to bring it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, um, you know, I didn't quite get as far as I wanted in speech, theater, and music. But with my students, uh, Keith, I have a very captive audience. I bet. I bet you do. Well, Ken, tell us about how you met your wife, you know, while you were working on the job. Well, I have a couple of stories there. Now, now the story I tell in theater mode is my wife came in to have her car service and I fell in love with her and it had nothing to do with what was in the glove box. Excellent. Excellent. You're supposed to ask what's in the glove box. What's in the glove box? What's in the glove box? Well, it couldn't have been her paycheck stubs. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) And uh, we're still married today with three children and my lovely wife. My children have all graduated college now and are on their own. My youngest daughter, she's not married yet. She's actually in uh, Korea where she teaches uh, English and practices uh, her theater skills in a whole foreign land. 
So what a privilege to be with my uh, family and kids. And we live 100 miles, as you mentioned, outside of Chicago. And I gave my children and wife a different type of life by moving out into the country. Sure, sure. I, I bet. I bet. Um, you know, it's I think that we do these things to give our kids a better life. And it, it's not all about what we want. It's about what we think is going to be best for our families. So absolutely. Much, much respect to you. Much respect to you. So talk to me about how did your interest in theater and speech, you know, you're doing this in high school. How did you make that pivot into a career in the automotive industry? Because those are two very obviously different professions. Well, I was uh, too sensitive to play football. So I decided to, to do speech and theater where things are a little smoother there. And the pivot I made uh, really had to do with communications. Um, When you're in speech, theater, music, you're interested in what your audience is looking for. You're interested in how things look. And so I was always kind of a jolster, always uh, liked to do different voices and that sort of thing. So many times as a mechanic, and then I became a technician, I had a plan B. So in high school, I noticed that if there was so much good talent so many good singers, so many good actors that, man, I wonder if I would ever make it this way. I said, I better have a plan B. And so my plan B was my hobby, which was I enjoyed uh, taking things apart and putting them back together, even if I did not understand how things work. And my mother and father indulged me that I had a little space in the basement for my junk and I had stuff outside and I would take things apart. And so I had a passion on two sides, entertainment and disassembly of things. And I'm able to transition that in the way I communicate with my customers. You know, I would say, does your car make this type of noise? Or does it make this type of noise? And so almost with everything I did, I put some sort of uh, entertainment twang to it. (laughs) And, And, you know, it clearly sends a message like, the way you're describing that, people, it resonates with people right away. Like they just, they get that, they understand it. So yeah. I can see how that communication skill set is an asset in the automotive industry. Absolutely. Yes, yes. So talk to us about what is your superpower? What is the one thing you think that has enabled you to be successful at what you do? Because you've been doing it a long time and you don't always see people who are able to stay in a profession for as long as you have and have your success. So they've got, I always want to know, they're doing something right. So what is your superpower that you think that has allowed you to be so successful in this, in this profession? Wow. Okay. Uh, man, that, that's an interesting one. Well, what I notice is what you said earlier. I do have a passion for what I do. I really care about what I present to people and how I present it. So I think my super passion would be my caring and not going out to sea. You know, being out in the country and having a garden. I've been working with sunflowers this year. And oh, my goodness, you would not believe what sunflowers can do. It's amazing how they seem to worship the sun and how they brightly move all day long in their bright colors. And then towards the end of their existence, they kind of fall over and drop their seeds. So I call it going to seed. So my superpower, I believe, is being able to stay fresh and current, always learning something new. You know, if any of your listeners today 
are interested in the type of career path that I've chosen, the learning never stops. I have a passion for learning new things, whether it's how something in nature works or how cars operate. Uh, during COVID, I was interested in how the airplanes have to be maintained when they're not flying. I just have a passion for constantly learning new things. And I'm not into racing, Keith, anything like that. I teach mainly um, basic auto type repairs. But many of my students, they're into high performance cars and they know more about those things than I do. Yes. Whenever I have a student who knows more than I do about a topic, man, I become the student and I say, tell me about your car. How does that operate? Where can I find more information about this? So my superpower is a passion for knowledge and sharing that knowledge with others. I agree. And you know what? We've grown up at a time that we, I know for myself, and I think I, I think you're in the same situation. We didn't grow up with the internet. I know I didn't. And, no. and, <laughs> and when, you know, when I was working just like you and I, and I started, there, there was no internet. So it was very challenging to get information. You'd have to go get encyclopedias. I used to have to, and the encyclopedia wasn't up to date, you know? So, I mean, I think you can relate to that. You can understand some of those things that I'm saying. But now you have the internet. So now you just go and you do a search. And I think we appreciate that more because we know what life was like before. Yes. The In the old days, hey, let me turn around here and grab this thing here. In sure. the old days, what we used to do, um, every shop had its own library. Ah. And we ran around with books like this. Yes. And in order to fix today's cars, we would have to have like 250 books for all of the models we would service. So when I was looking for information, we'd go to the little, the little shop section, we'd find the book, we'd find the information. It took an enormous amount of time. And so now with the internet, oh, things are just so much faster and I'm able to access information. However, what I've noticed uh, with my young people, I kind of give them the Einstein quote that I found interesting, which was something like, Einstein said, don't memorize things that you can easily look up. Don't waste a lot of brain power if you can easily access the information. Mm -hmm. So one of the issues I'm working with my students is getting them to find the information quickly, whether it's the prices on something or the procedure to do something. So I've noticed the students, you know, they're born with the internet in their hands. Basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. In the middle of my lesson, I'm always asking for information. And I don't want it slowly. I want it quickly. How quickly can we access this information? And so the Internet has helped us in ways that are mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. And young people are good at that. They're good at getting information, like you said, because they grew up with it. And that, I, I believe that's the game changer. And I think that's where schools are going to have to start making adjustments. It's not about memorizing information because kids are getting smarter. Uh, you know, I have two kids in middle school, sixth grade and eighth grade. And, and when they see that they have tests or information where they're asking them questions, they're like, oh, I can just figure that out just by Googling it. Why do they want us to memorize it? So the kids are questioning things. They're like, you know, why are they asking me to know this? I, I just do the search, boom, there it is. That's what they have to do in the real world, which is what you're teaching your students right now. Absolutely. I remember a few years ago when cell phones became popular, you know, we as educators, you know, we wanted the cell phones off. We don't want the yes. scene. We don't want the distraction. But I realized, Keith, that they cannot turn the cell phone off. They can't. 
And if they turn the cell phone off, they're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they're like disconnected from the world. And so I realized early on that we have to now embrace this technology and make it work. So a lot of times I'll make the students do homework assignments. They'll have to mm -hmm. take pictures of tires, pictures of VIN numbers, pictures of their engines. They're going to have to find information. So I've actually embraced the cell phone and I just force them to use it. Yeah, which is smart. I think what you've done that you've adjusted to the students, which is what makes you a good educator. You see, some people might say, well, and I've seen this in some, I might, you know, we've gone through, I have six and eighth graders. So not that we've gone through a whole lot of school, but we've gone through enough school to see some teachers that get it and some that don't. But right, right. the teachers that don't get it are the ones like, we've always done it this way. Whenever somebody tells me that, I always have to say, wow, you're really missing the boat. Blockbuster, you remember Blockbuster video? Yeah. They yes. always do things the same way. And it uh, didn't turn out too well for them. And Netflix no. came along and knocked them out. So you've made that adjustment, which helps your students to better adapt. One of the things I do with the students to, in order to adapt to them, Keith, is this is kind of, I don't know if it's rare or not, but I'll, I'll just put it out there. A lot of times I am surveying and asking my students, what do they want? How mm -hmm. can I help you better? And so I survey my students every class, usually twice, and ask them, hey, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? What would you like to see me do? So by surveying my students, I can stay more in tune with them as to how they're how they receive knowledge. That is helping yes. great. No, that makes sense. So tell me, what is the profile of an elite auto technician? So, so what do they do different from others? You know, because people want to know what what makes somebody really good and what makes somebody average. Well, I noticed from the time I came up, which would have been in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I still work on cars today. To me, in the old days, um, repairing cars was kind of hard. I mean, you did it, you, you got in there, and Arr. but diagnosing your problem was relatively easy. Today, Keith, that has totally flipped. It, it, it's flipped. Working on the car, to me, is easy, but diagnosing what the actual problem is, mm -hmm. now that's difficult. Yes. So today's advent of all the computer modules that sit on the car, the diagnostic procedures, the proprietary information, many times manufacturers do, do not share everything a technician needs in order to repair their cars. This causes us great difficulty. So today's technician has to have the ability to think outside the box, come up with procedures that may not actually be listed, Many times, uh, Keith, I had to fabricate my own tools in order to make a repair. So this thinking outside the box is now critical. Mm -hmm. You just can't tell an auto technician like, hey, go do A, B, and C. Many times I notice at home in my own shop, my wife will see me doing stuff like this or this. And what I'm actually doing, Keith, is I have to think about how I'm going to attack this problem what tools I'm going to use, how am I going to stick my arm up in this really, really tight, contorted space. Oh, and by the way, sometimes, Keith, we have to work upside down underneath the dashboard to get something. And so mm -hmm. it requires dexterity. Mechanics, uh, technicians have to be healthy. But today, I would think the elite techs have a 
propensity to diagnose things correctly. I teach my people, hey, let's not guess at the repair. Let's test until we get to the correct repair. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Analytical skills. Yes. Analytical skills. I think that's paramount almost in most professions nowadays. I mean, that's what separates, I believe, an expert from somebody who's just average. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. You know, what can people who are new to this profession do to make themselves valuable to employers? Wow. Well, hold on, Keith. I got to look around here, man. Hold on. I got to make sure. (laughs) I got to make sure nobody's here who can hear this except you. (laughs) Because if this gets out, this is a game changer. Excellent. All right. Hold on. Okay. I don't see anybody. Coast is clear. Okay. Coast is clear. Hey, here's Uh, what I did. When, When I was young, Keith, I always had trouble of reading and comprehending things. Following directions was kind of my, one of my weaknesses. So when I got this great desire to repair cars and work on things, I felt nervous. I felt people would like watch me and laugh. And so I had that issue. What I did, Keith, is my ultimate secret towards um, raising your skills is all over the country, there are you pull it junkyards. And I apologize when I say junkyards because we call them auto salvage yard. You know, sure. another man's junk is another man's treasure. Sure. So yeah. in our, in our uh, area outside of Chicago here, and I would assume all over the country, there are what we call you pull it junkyards or pick and pull uh, auto salvage yards where you can go in, grab your own part, and then, you know, take it home and practice. So I flipped that around. I flipped that around years ago when I was in my teens. I would go to the junkyard, carry in my little tools. They always check your tools, by the way, when you come into these yards. I would carry in my little tools, and I would pretend like I'm going to get something, but I didn't get anything. There'll be hundreds of cars in some of these yards, sometimes thousands. Mm-hmm. I would go in the back, and if, I never took an alternator off. I would go and practice taking an alternator off and then put it back on. I would take a fan belt off, a starter. I would go to the junkyard sometimes two or three times a week, and I would practice, 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 practice. I'm sorry, Keith, did I say practice? <laughs> We're talking about practice. <laughs> you know the old, uh, what's the old adage? The joke was, how do, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. 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 <laughs> Nobody's going to let you practice on their $40,000 car. You know, Makes not, sense. Not unless you came to a school like ours, you know, Lincoln College of Technology. And we have cars out. The students practice on them. And, and they tear them up. And that's yeah. how I've learned. I've practiced on so many vehicles throughout my lifetime that I got good at it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a saying, practice till you can't get it wrong. You got it. And that's what I've been doing my whole life. I still go to the junkyards today, uh, Keith, and I'll practice on something. And many times now, what a privilege it is to take like my entire class to the auto yard. And I would say if I have a class of uh, 20 students, I would say 15 of them have never even been to a salvage yard. Wow. Have never taken wiper blades off, light bulb out, all the simple things that these young people could go into the yard and practice. Now, we don't go in there and break things or anything like that, 
We just go practice, put things together. Now, at the end of the day or the end of the hour, you walk out with your tools, and the people at the counter, they look at your toolbox, you know, to see if you're taking anything. And I'm always nice and courteous to people. I tell my students the same thing. Pretty soon they get to know you, you're wearing a work shirt, and they're happy for you to come in and practice. There, there were times I went to the yard with students, and the managers at the yard would say, hey, if you guys are taking alternators off, can you leave them off? at the end, and sometimes people really enjoy just picking the part up and taking it out. We sure appreciate you coming by. Nice, nice. It's a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, they don't always get a chance to work on older equipment that may not be as readily available. So you're giving them a different, different type of education. Yes, but a starter is a starter no matter what year you're dealing with. And an That's alternator true. is an alternator and breaks or breaks. And yeah. another thing I've noticed uh, in Chicago, especially uh, with airbags, many times when a car is crashed and the airbags go off, that car is totaled. And so mm-hmm. I see very nice vehicles in the auto salvage yard. Many oh, yeah. later models. Many later models. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So, you know, speaking of which, cars, you know, they've changed over the years. They're like driving computers. How do you feel technology has affected the automotive industry? Well, wow. It's, it's just changed everything. It, it's a game changer. Now I'm teaching my people. I say, hey, look, I grew up as a mechanic, and, and that's nice. But really, you're not coming to school here to be a mechanic. You're going to have to be a technician. You're mm-hmm. going to have to be able to follow directions, use electronic scan tools, use a digital volt-ohm meter, you're going to have to be able to research and search for information. The technology has changed. There's no way that you can know it all. There's just no way. I, I can tell you a quick story that happened to me. I was uh, helping a, a friend of mine out with his Jaguar, and he wanted some new lights put in the door. So he ordered these lights from um, Amazon or somewhere, and it's just plug and play. I take out his old lights, and in the door, I plug in these projector lights. Mm-hmm. opens the door, Jaguar, shoots all over the floor. It's really cool at night. So yeah. I went in, no problem. And I return his car back to him in the daytime. So he calls me the next day and says, hey, my lights don't work. I'm like, that's impossible. They worked fine for me when they were here. You're kidding me, right? He goes, no, they really don't work, Ken. So I go over and check it. I'm testing this. I'm looking at that. I'm like, what is going on? I can't get these. I'm playing with things. I'm looking at a wiring diagram to understand how the lights operate. I'm thinking blown fuse. Did I cut a wire? And do you know, I had to take his car home for like a day and I had to research what was going on. And what Mm -hmm. I did, and this will help some of your young people, if you're working on a vehicle and you don't understand what's going on, you want to take like three points of view, kind of like a triangle. Mm -hmm. And here at school, we have professional information. That didn't help me. You know what I did, Keith? I got on a Jaguar blog site. And I basically looked at the question, and one of the questions on the blog site was, if your interior lights don't work, maybe you turn them off accidentally. I'm like, oh, no. And then, he go, and then the blogger goes, you have three lights in the middle. Hold your middle light for three seconds. That's what turns them on. And sure enough, I hold it for three seconds. Wow. Boom, the lights come on. Everybody's happy. And yeah. I wasted all of this time because I didn't do my research. So yes. today's, today's technician, really, before we start messing with the car, 
we have to do a little bit of research or we look at technical service bulletins or recalls that may affect my repairs and get me to them a lot sooner. I agree. I agree. You also have access to other people. So I would wonder if through social media, and then you'd mentioned the blogs, that you can connect with other auto technicians who work on those particular cars. Absolutely. And that makes, look, look at how the whole world is connected. You know, yes. you can't, uh, the type of world I'm in, you can't get off of this grid, grid because we really do need each other. That is so oh, yeah. yeah. Now, you know, we have a skills gap and it's getting worse. And I think part of it, if you ask me, I think part of it is the schools and the parents because they have perceptions of, you know, all kids should go to college and that's, it's not for everybody. How do we close that gap? How do we get more young people to explore careers in the skill trades and in like your, your industry, the automotive industry? Yes, that's what I noticed for years. I noticed after COVID, mm-hmm. well, we're still in COVID, right? But yeah. it seems like everybody's on a $15 an hour kick. Yes. So now everybody starts at close to 15, at least in the Chicago area. I'm noticing that. Mm-hmm. Now, Employers would come here to school or, you know, pre-COVID, they would say the same thing. We can't get young people to do this. We can't get, we can't get enough technicians. We can't get this or that. And, and then we'd say, well, how much are you paying? And they said, well, we're going to start them off at $8 an hour. <laughs> You're telling me this kid goes to school, spends all this money. He's got to buy a massive, did I say massive again? How about massive investment in tools? Mm-hmm. And in time, plus you have to practice these skills and yes. start somebody off at minimum wage. So one of the biggest problems on our side uh, for years has always been the starting wage. Mm-hmm. Then the employer or management may say, well, they're working around all these fancy cars. We're going to have to invest in training. We want to see who will make it, who doesn't. Therefore, the wage is low, but it will work its way up. But mm-hmm. many times in other trades, the start, um, the starting pay is usually better. So mm-hmm. for, for those of us who love it, you know, we'll do it no matter what. But sure. it is true that when your skills develop, the income comes along with it. So sure. the skills gap comes with people's parents and they're like thinking, well, does a mechanic make enough to support a family? That's true. And the answer is yes. Will this trade be viable 10 years from now? The answer is going to be yes, because our business, we have to train with, you know, what everybody's doing. We have to match what's out there. Yes. Yeah, no, I get that because we're not changing how we, how we, how we drive. No. And I think people keep their cars longer. If anything, people are keeping their cars longer. And so that's, how, that's just going to change. However, uh, now where I met, you know, right across the street, there's uh, Amazon. And in a few years, I assume Amazon's, all their vehicles will be electric. Every time I see a Tesla go down the road, I, I start shaking. I'm like, ooh, 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 Tesla, Tesla, ooh. And then I'm seeing all the hybrids I have to learn about and train. So I'm teaching my people, the cars aren't going anywhere, but the technology is changing. Mm-hmm. If you don't change with this technology, you're going to be left behind. I agree. So, the, our young people today are in two worlds. They're in two worlds at the same time. We have a mechanical world that, you know, we repair things. And then yes. we have an electronic world that they're going to have to deal with because pretty soon, I believe, you know, these cars will really be driving themselves. That's are true. you going to be ready? 
Are yeah. they going to be ready? That's my question for the students. Definitely. Definitely. So with the training, what do you think students are having the most challenges with when they come into the program? Well, it, it would be like uh, <laughs> it would be like my children. Uh, if, if they were in high school and even when they came home for college, hey, hey, girls, I have three girls. Hey, girl, daddy's been up for an hour. Breakfast is ready. And I can't even get them to come down. They, they want to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So one of the issues, uh, Keith, uh, seriously, is uh, is teaching life skills like punctuality. Oh, wow. Um, also, uh, all the students that I teach, uh, I don't know if I recommend this for all teachers. It causes me some problems. Uh, all, all my students have my personal, I call it my text number. So mm -hmm. if you're going to be late or absent, just like you would at your job, uh, hey, let me know. And many of the students, you know, they don't let me know. And so I'm like, wow, you're going to have to learn these skills. How about this, uh, Keith? You have to say hello. In the morning, I say hello, hello. And sometimes, you know, the basic skills that it takes to move to the next level, they don't have that. And so that becomes one of the biggest hindrance. Also, the students want hands-on. I mean, they really want to be out in the shop. They really want to be doing something. But, but Keith, if I teach them how to take an alternator off and put it back on, that's hands-on. But if they mm -hmm. don't know the theory of how the alternator works, they're not going to be able to sell a job. And so getting the theory into them so that they can get to the hands-on becomes quite a challenge for us educators. And that's why I put on a show everywhere I go. This information has to be delivered to young people in a way that they will receive it. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're customizing your training to the way they learn. Yes. And that is so difficult. Keith, that's exactly why I say I haven't gone out to seed yet. Look, yes. if I'm 90 years old, I'm going to be saying, look here, fellas, I just learned something <laughs> <laughs> the, and I'm asking my audience, hey, how do you want the message delivered? No, I like it. I like it. it, it I, I wish I had teachers like you when I was growing up because <laughs> they never asked how we want. They said, here's how you, here's yeah. the information, learn it. This is what we, we want you to learn, and that's it. I don't care how you learn, or you got to do it my way. And, and that's, so, what, uh, that's what made a difference in my life. And uh, all of the teachers I had in my entire life, uh, I don't know if others could say this, but out of all the teachers I had in my entire life from, you know, grade school uh, into technical trade school, there's only four or five that I remember that changed me. Four or five mm -hmm. that, that actually paid this type of price that I understand now. The, the price that an educator has to pay is there is a high emotional labor that we do. It's not just the labor of dispensing and teaching, but it is the emotional input we put into it. I've been on the stage for a lot of productions, Keith, and at the end of, the, of a production, we'd be like, "Woo! it's all over. We did it. Hey, they enjoyed the show. And sometimes the very same thing happens in the classroom where your educator is literally emotionally uh, drained. Yes. So 
Tell me, I know you're a supporter of using video because the first time we connected, you sent me a video message. Can you share how using video can help, how your students can take advantage of using videos to help them in terms of creating an online presence and creating job opportunities? Right. Well, we cover all the basic stuff, you know, what, what do you do online? You know, what's your online profile? I have to work with this with my daughter. My daughter makes uh, content and, and I tell her, hey, I looked at some of your content and daddy's not happy. <laughs> okay. I said, daddy's not happy. And yeah. she would say something like, well, dad, I can't worry about that. I'm grown now. And I would say, oh, you're grown now. Then why you keep asking for money? <laughs> OK, so so don't tell me how grown you are. So the, the students think they're grown. They think they can put out some sort of content that is relative to them. I say, hey, this stuff follows you down the line. You want to be careful. So what I'm thinking, uh, Keith, is I would like uh, the students and I'm developing this in my head because I am practicing it myself is basically a video introduction. I want my students to be able to get on camera and say something about themselves kind of like a production, they got to practice these skills, maybe show some of the tools that they're using in school. Can you imagine, and I know you're into this too, can you imagine you get the employer's email and you drop a video introduction in there? Oh my goodness, that would change the game. Especially um, for people of color. Because yes. throughout, throughout my uh, lifetime, my grandmother, you know, people of color have always told stories. They mm -hmm. pass stories down through generation, through generation, through generation. And I notice that many times it's my stories that resonate most with my students. So I'm telling my students now, hey, your online presence, it needs to be a story about you. 100%. positive that an employer would say, wow, I want this guy on my team or this young lady I want on my team. So I'm working with my students now uh, to develop an introduction on video, drop it in an email, and let's see what happens. Oh, I agree 100%. And I think that that helps you to stand out over everybody else who's not doing it. It shows that you made an effort. It brings out your personality. And if you have less experience, it gives you an opportunity now to sell yourself once again. Yes. You know, yes. companies, I always say this, companies hire people. They don't hire paper. They don't hire paper resumes. That's why they bring people in for an interview. If, if it was just about the paper, then you could write whatever you want on the resume, send it in, and they'd call you up and say you got the job, you know? Right, right. I'm teaching my people. I, I look, I said, look, they can hire anybody, but with a, with a video presence, you're going to prove that you're actually somebody different. And yes. Our employers many times are so desperate. Now it's not a point of getting people work. It's not a point. I go all over the place and people aren't there. Everybody's hiring. Now mm -hmm. we get folks hired at a higher rate and yes. get investment put into these people. I said, if you could do something different, that they could see this could be a worthwhile investment, then you should see what the future will bring. If we could just change things a little bit and do something different. And so I think this video introduction uh, will be a game changer for some of my students. Definitely, definitely. So can, can you share three resources that people who are interested in the automotive industry can check out? Absolutely, absolutely. One of my favorites, and it's not that I found him. I did not found, find him. 
I asked the students, I said, hey, before you got here, who, who doesn't work on cars? Who does? And many of my students said, well, I learned a lot from watching YouTube videos. I'm like, really? I say, well, who's your favorite YouTube star or mechanic? And, and they all said pretty much the same thing, and, and constantly class after class. And the gentleman's name is Chris Fix. Chris Fix. ChrisFix.com. Okay. He has hundreds of videos, and Chris Fix is like a, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but man, his videos are crisp. crisp. His audio is clear. His presentations are for the do-it-yourselfer or entry level. And some of his GoPro work is just astounding. And so mm -hmm. if you want to learn something, um, a lot of good videos will help you. And Chris Fix is a, a, a good one. Uh, if you're interested in our professional side of it, I'm what they call an ASE, Auto Service Excellence. So I'm a certified master mechanic. So if students want to do any uh, researching, you could go to ASE.org uh, and find some information about our professional trade. And another good one is what we've already discussed, is you would basically Google auto salvage yards. So auto salvage yards or pick and pull or you pull it and find out where these are in your neighborhood or in your area of the country. And go there and just walk around and see what an auto yard is about. You get to walk the whole yard. Excellent. Bring some tools and then start your practicing. That'd be a great way if you're not coming into a school like ours yet. Excellent. I'd also say I'm going to add Ken has his own website too. Please share that because I think that is a great resource too. Yes, I'm developing a, a website for my students and my community, so I'm working on it. My only problem is I uh, just can't get my wife to do all the work. I'm not sure how to do it. <laughs> but if you guys ever want to visit me, you can also contact me on KennyCars.com. KennyCars.com. Excellent. And Ken, finally, before we say goodbye, share one lesson you've learned in your career that can help people who are new to the automotive industry. Really, I'm teaching my people this scripture, really, and it's, it can be said lots of different ways, but you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to pick what you plant. And being an avid uh, gardener, I notice that what I plant is what I get back. That's so true. I'm telling, I'm telling my people, you want to do good, honest work. You want to treat people with respect you know, how you want to be treated, and just be kind to folks. And I can guarantee you that's how it works. Uh, my young people would say it like this, what goes around comes around. So mm -hmm. you want to plant uh, good seeds in your life. You want to be honorable. And I guarantee you, I can guarantee you good things have to come back to you. And so that's the important uh, mantra that I live by. Excellent. Well, Ken, thank you so much for your time today. Great advice, great content. Ken, um, you're, how can people find your school and how can people find you? Well, I work for Lincoln Educational Services. And so the school, uh, we have over 20 uh, schools in over 14 states. And so LincolnTech.com will get you there. Excellent. Ken, thank you so much and you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.